Thank you for tuning in to Far Better, where we look to be pleasing to God in this life, so our eternity is far better. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and with me today is Dan Cates. Dan, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you. Good to be here. He is the minister for the Independence Church of Christ, and he also serves at the Memphis School of Preaching as one of its instructors and dean of communications. He was one of my teachers when I went through MSOP, and I greatly appreciate him, and we're glad to have him as a part of this episode. Brother Dan, we're talking about far better than as our kind of our summer theme, far better than, and in this is it's far better than a godless life. And what we're kind of getting at there is there are so many homes that are godless. They don't have God at the center of their home. And as the responsibility you and I serve as fathers, what would you say makes being a father today and this time so difficult? Well, there are a lot of things. I think, number one, the foundation, which is the home, is so often divided home, single parent, uh, latchkey children, things of that nature, so that the home is rarely actually a home in our day and age. And when it is, there are still so many distractions right. which can take attention away from the actual parent-children, husband-wife relationships, those distractions could be in the workplace. How many people only work a 40-hour week? How many people only work one job? How many families are able to have just one of the family members working and the others uh, being able to uh, contribute to the home in other areas? Right. We have those distractions we have the distractions of schools and all of the things which are involved in school activities and extracurricular activities children have to get up with the break of dawn parents have to hustle to try to get those children ready have to hustle to get those children fed get them to the school bus in time or drive them and perhaps wait in line in cars to be able to drop them off and then later to be able to pick them up. They have to deal with homework, which is sent home, and fight with the children about doing the homework. Maybe the children's involved in plays or in band or in some sports activity, so that has to work uh, there in that uh, school schedule. And then you have the sports in addition to those. Maybe the child plays rec league soccer or baseball or makes all-stars and that adds another level of distraction and then you have the hobbies that parents will have mom will have hers dad will have his and they need those things to be able to sort of um, recharge after work is concerned well how do they fit in dealing with the children and dealing with the children's school and so forth there are just so many distractions that when you do have a home, that's what it ought to be. The time to spend together as family is often lacking. Right. One of the things that's so difficult today is it seems to be, and I know I can speak this truth for me, I don't know if it was like this for you when you were growing up, but we're little children, we idolize our parents. We are absolutely in love with everything that they do. 
as we get older, we become our own people. We're growing into that own, you know, adulthood and teenager and things of that nature. And all of a sudden, mom and dad don't seem so smart anymore to us. And there's a lot of fighting and obstinance and problems. And the moment in our lives where we need mom and dad the most outside of when we couldn't take care of ourselves as little children is when it seems we push them away the most too because they don't want us to do this. Well, that just means they don't love me. You know, I don't want you to go to a party where there's going to be alcohol. Well, you don't care about me. And there's this difference. And in today's world, it seems to be even more so because we have people today being told to do things that I couldn't fathom when I was a child, and I know you couldn't have fathomed when you were a child. And so the fathers that we have in this world have such a great responsibility to make sure God is the center and focus of the home like you mentioned, because life is busy. The economy doesn't always provide the ability to have just one working parent. And so we have to make the most of the time we have, because if we don't, someone will. You know, where, where our children are the most, if we're not putting down that good, solid foundation as a strong leader, would you agree that someone else will in their mind? Yeah, there's no question about that. We need to appreciate that parents aren't just there to legislate right to regulate parents are there to be an example and the children that grow up and they see the example of parents that are working mm-hmm. you know just in a secular sense that are putting spiritual things as priorities but that can do those things and still give the children time a sense of importance and things of that nature if those children feel that they are left out of that equation then they're going to find somebody that can feel mm-hmm. that part of the equation you know what we've had over the last I guess two or three um, decades now more and more of the uh, well I can't think of the name of it now I had it in my mind a moment ago but where you have the men who are like dads to the children and right. the women who are like mothers as part of... The father and mother figures that we have. That's right. But um, specifically uh, as uh, like social work type of things. Right. Uh, when you have those coming in, that, you know, that, that's good. That's good. They, they want to be uh, there to build self-esteem in the children and things of that nature. Uh, a teacher... If, if that child sees that there's a teacher that's putting time in and is willing to help that child outside of class and so forth, great, a coach. But too often, it's not a responsible adult figure at all. If it is, it's probably somebody else's parent. And if it's not, it's probably just an older kid, maybe somebody that's college-aged, uh, or older in high school and so forth. And the person, the child latches on to that person as if that's the responsible adult that needs to be the example. Right. I think a lot of the problem is because the parents either failed to be there or this life simply did not allow their being there. Right. The way that they could have, if, you know, financial situations were different, for instance. Right. So what you're essentially getting at there is if we had strong leaders in our uh, fathers at home, 
our children would probably not go looking for strong leadership elsewhere. And that would be one of the main reasons we need such strong leaders as, as fathers in the home. Uh, you, you mentioned that it may not be a godly individual. Why is it such a problem for a person who's not godly to be rearing our children? Now, not, not in the situation like Cornelius where he's a decent man, but someone who is worldly, because I know you've heard of the stories of people who they stumbled upon an adult who was doing drugs or alcohol, and they were offered an opportunity to do that, and that's exactly what you know spun them onto this spiral laying down an addiction. And so what what's the big deal about a godly person versus an ungodly person being the leader in in the home? Well, the the ungodly person number 1 is going to have his priorities off. His priority may be today, maybe tomorrow, but probably is today. His priority is probably going to be one which is situational. Uh, situation ethics and you know the the idea of what can I do that demonstrates the most they use the word love but it's not necessarily a scriptural type of love affections on things above like it ought to be but what's going to be the most loving thing I can do right now to uh, reach the best end to have the longest period of happiness to cost the less and so forth uh, cost less and so forth you have this mindset that isn't thinking about five years down the road and it's surely not thinking about eternity when the child sees that well here's instant gratification right my parents if they're godly they can't necessarily promise instant gratification if I obey in the home, then you know Ephesians 6, Exodus 20, things are going to go well with me, but really more so eternally than temporally. Right. I can't see if I'm a young person five years, ten years down the road. I can see how much pleasure I get tonight, tomorrow. The strong leadership in the home is going to help to model that way so that the child recognizes my interest is not on tomorrow. My interest is down the line. And yes, there are going to be days where uh, I, I have excitement, I have pleasure, things of that nature of a godly sort. But all of this is pointing toward mm-hmm. an eternal joy they're not going to get that from somebody that's ungodly and you know the plan of scripture in general is to have parents train their children in the ways of god and to help them to recognize obedience in first timothy chapter 3 we have that as a qualification of elders that they uh, rule well their own house having their children in subjection with all gravity for if a man know not how to rule uh, his own house how shall I take care of the church of God? First Timothy 3, 4, and 5. If that parent, regardless of whether he thinks he's elder material or whether it's even a male, is not ruling that house, somebody will. Right. And that child is going to go 
to whichever figure can fit the affection that the child has. That's something that's interesting because I see I see people who have role models, and in today's world, the role model is superheroes. And that makes sense because a lot of movies, and I love a good superhero movie. But my dad was more of a superhero in my life than any of those could ever be. And really, the reason for that is my dad looked at Jesus Christ as more of a hero than anybody could ever be. And he taught that to me. And I grew up thinking about my dad in the highest honor possible. And I remember being in the second grade, we were asked to write about our hero. Well, that's who I wrote about. And this past Father's Day, I gave him something that said, Still My Hero, to let him know, you know, I still appreciate the godly parenting that you did for me because it's making a difference in my life now as a father myself. Because I see that some of the things I'm even trying to teach and instill in my own son's life are things that I was taught and instilled. But you mentioned, you know, sometimes it's difficult with the way that the economy is and the way that things go. So I know one of your children has grown and out of the house and married. Uh, but when you had both children at home, what was a typical day like back around that time? And how difficult was it to continue to put God before your family in the midst of maybe busy schedules? And how'd you do it? Yeah. Our situation is really different from a lot of people's. Uh, I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. Uh, that means that I don't necessarily have the 40-hour-a-week job, you know, right. set hours 8 to 5 or so forth. It also means that uh, financially we were in a position and still are where my wife works, and she is the 8 to 5 uh, worker it's not the most difficult thing in the world, regardless of schedule, if you keep the priority the priority. In our home, what our children saw was parents who made sure that when the doors of the church building were open, we were going. Right. That it wasn't something we did because we had to do it, but it's something that we did because we wanted to do it and it was the right thing to do. They also saw an example, and still do, you know, especially when my daughter's back in town, but my son sees parents that don't fight over things that are not eternal. You know, a lot of families will fight over money, they'll fight over really anything, just wanting a good battle. Uh, our children saw parents who were on the same team. Do my wife and I always agree on everything? No, but the children don't have to see disagreements. Right. So our children saw unity in the home. They saw that uh, recognition that our place when it's time to worship is at worship and things of that nature. Uh, they also, in a typical day, have seen mom and dad being interested in others' needs, uh, helping to uh, visit, you know, when, when people are struggling and so forth. And part of that's the role of a preacher. But part of that is just the role of a Christian. Right. Children need to see parents who are servants, parents who are willing not only to give lip service to God, but who are actively on a day-to-day -day basis in the home living what's preached on Sunday 
what's taught in Bible classes, Sundays and Wednesdays and so forth. Uh, did we always do it perfectly? Uh, I would say, you know, there were times when we didn't. But a uh, typical day in the Kate's home, they saw Christians as mom and dad. That's exactly what we need, too, because we have this world right now that makes things so difficult. People say, well, we get the Bible on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday, so anything else we get, like vacation Bible score stuff, is just extra. But we get enough throughout the week, and we're so busy, we're so tired, that by the time we get home, it's like we don't have any time for God anymore. Not that God doesn't want us to enjoy being able to sit down with the family and having fun, watching television, going out and doing things together. But just like you mentioned, um, just the parents alone living a Christian life means means the world and makes a world of difference to the children because when they grow up, they're going to sit there and say, as I said to my wife and my wife said to me, well, this is how we did it. This is what I saw growing up. And children are sponges. You know, they see everything we do or don't do. And I've often wondered for the people who they go to worship, they don't have to leave after the first service, but they do. And they don't come back. And I've often wondered, what do the children sit there and think about? But that worship must not be the most important thing in our lives. And at any time we have an opportunity to put God above this world, when we choose the world, our children see that. And yet, sadly, I have heard of people who are crying out, why are my children unfaithful? But in some of those situations, it could be easily said, because you taught them to be unfaithful. And so... In, in our world today, children are being affected a lot differently than when your children grew up, when I grew up. Uh, what concerns you about the way this world could be affecting children today? Well, we see immorality rampant. That's not a surprise. You know, th- there was immorality when I was younger. Uh, I was young right after the 60s, you know, the sexual revolution and so forth. Uh, I can remember a lot of the homosexual movements from when I was a child. It just seems like so many things have been uh, fast-forwarded. And by that I mean you know, we are in the point in our nation where homosexual marriage is not only legal, uh, but it's hate speech to say anything against it. Right. Twenty years ago we would have thought this day was 40, 50 years down the road, not that it was right around the corner. Growing up in you know that age, but seeing that progression, to what do we attribute how quickly we've gone over that ledge, so to speak? We've just, we just dove off right. head first. I would suggest that there's several factors. Uh, one, of course, is the media and Hollywood having such a big role, television programs uh, that promote sinful lifestyles, that loose um, morals as far as dress and things of that nature. But I would suggest that probably it didn't have to be the media's coverage and so forth and, and even pushing these things. We can look at most nations. The further nations get away from God, the more quickly the declines happen. You know, you you don't go at a steady pace from leaving God into 
complete and utter rejection of God. It, it's it's a pretty s- steep slope. Right. And so in our nation, yes, we see the things that aren't helping. But I think the greater problem is really a Romans 1 type of problem, Mm. the type of problem they had in the first century. God's evident. You know, you can look around and you can see in nature that there is a God. But there in Romans 1, those Romans did not like to retain God in their knowledge. It doesn't matter what Hollywood's doing. If we don't like to retain God in our knowledge, and more and more our young people are getting to that point, then immorality, uh, these so-called alternative lifestyles, they're just going to flourish. What scares me is that I don't see much out there that can check that. Mm. And so understanding from books like Revelation, other uh, prophetic books in the Old Testament, how God's cup of wrath is filled up. As nations get farther and farther away from doing right, and We weren't ever a Christian nation because the Lord's Church is the Christian nation. But we were a nation that had godly principles, were founded upon godly principles. But the further that we're getting away from those, the more that cup of wrath is filled up. And something's got to check it. Now, we've seen that in one area of morality rather recently. That is abortion. Mm -hmm. Some of the states have taken a stronger stand against abortion and that's great. We have a president who is at least trying to push a more conservative morality. Right. But is something going to be there that curves abortion on a national level? Is something going to be there that curves homosexuality on a national level? Is something going to be there that curves extramarital affairs is something going to be there that curves um, just the um, the uh, attractiveness right of sinfulness I don't see anything that's that's there that can stem that which means that that cups filling 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 is it my children's, my grandchildren's generation that has that cup ultimately poured out? Hmm. That's what scares me. What worries me is um, that they're going to be the ones suffering spiritually and ultimately physically because of the sins in the world around us. Well, and that's not that hard to think about happening because God's people have often suffered for doing what is right but God's people have also often suffered for doing what was wrong. You study the Old Testament with the children of Israel. They got themselves into situations where they were, in the book of Judges alone, you know, oppressed, repent, oppressed, repent, oppressed. And you see throughout the entire Old Testament the children of Israel backing themselves into a corner 
and having to, to call on God to save them, but it took severe punishment at times before they'd be willing to do that. And it seems like our nation would have to be punished severely before we finally realize that that's what's going on. And I, you know, obviously we don't agree with everything that the president does, but I have appreciated the idea that we need to put in check our morality and that we need to be more conscientious about the things that we do morally speaking because you can't continue to be immoral and expect God who is holy to allow us to just continue on. Eventually, like you said, the cup will be poured out. And so in the really the last question for this episode, we'll have a part two of this as well, but the last part of this is, is there any way we can influence our leaders in this world and in our nation especially to better shape it toward God? Well, I think we have two passages that answer that question. First of all, Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. Uh, we need to be subject to our government. No uh, matter who's in the office, no right? No matter who's in the office, as long as we're not commanded to do something which God disallowed right. or disallowed from doing something which God commands, then we submit to the government. And that includes the laws of the land to the taxes of the land. I think you need to read beyond Romans 13, 1 down through verse 7. But you also see in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where you're talking about prayers. First of all, uh, prayers, supplications, intercessions, giving of thanks be made for all men. But you get into verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority. We need to be praying for our leaders. If we continue reading there, the motivation is that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. Right. For my children to have a better life, I need to demonstrate obedience, and I need to be praying for this nation. If we ever get to a point, again, where we go into a time where we're severely oppressed for our faith, we have to remember also Daniel 5, which tells me that God rules in the kingdoms of men. And that perhaps, just like he did in Habakkuk's time, he uses a nation like Babylon to enact justice upon his people for disobeying. And Habakkuk is so confused as to how that could be the case. How can you use such a wicked nation? And God says, well, I'm going to work a work that you're not even going to believe if I told it to you. But God knows what he's doing. And he has often used nations that were harmful and horrible nations to tip the scale, so to speak, and balance it again. And yet, also, I'm told that righteousness exalts a nation. And if our nation wants to get back on track, it's just like you said, we've got to start praying for our leaders again. Well, I don't like our leaders. Well, if we pray, our leaders may become more likable in in that sense. Well, I don't like what he's going to do with this or that. Well, he has a soul, and that soul needs to be spared from eternal punishment. And if James 5 tells me the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, then I need to spend my time following a commandment to pray for those that are in authority according to the book of First Timothy. I don't get a say in who's my leader in, in all situations. I don't get a say of who the governor is of New York or who the governor is of Nevada or whoever. You know, I don't get that opportunity. But I do have an opportunity to pray for them despite what they might endorse or approve of that I don't. And as horrible as it was to see the people up in Nevada, or up, not in Nevada, but in New York, cheering for abortion when the recent law that they passed even up to birth, it means I need to be praying more. 
and that Christians need to be praying more because that really is the only way to enact change. And it reminds me of Daniel chapter 9 when Daniel is praying to the Lord and he says, we messed up. We're the reason that we're in this situation. And even in Nehemiah chapter 9 where the people said, you know, God, we have transgressed. We have sinned. We need to repent. We need to come back to you. But there might be consequences for what we've done. And what the consequence was in the time of Nehemiah was, even though we have repented, we are still servants in this land. And God will eventually tip the cup. It's going to be so full that it will overflow, and then it will be poured out, and it will be a righteous judgment being poured out upon us, and we'll have no one to blame but ourselves. So whatever we can do to stop it, we need to be doing. We're going to have one more episode on this talking about a life that is godless and how we can have God back in the home. Uh, Until then, I hope we all please God now so that our eternity is far better.